Friday Lunchtime Lectures at the Open Data Institute. As was said, my name's Will, um, and this is going to be about a, um, a collaboration that I did this summer as part of the ASI Fellowship with the Cabinet Office. I'm going to briefly talk about myself, very, very briefly, um, my background. I studied maths here in London uh, at UCL, um, and while I was there, I kind of I realised that what was happening um, in terms of what, where, where, where the way industries were going and the way, where the problems that could be solved were nowadays, and that was to be data-driven. So at that point, I realised that I needed to be more technical in that respect, and I'd come across the ODI at that point, um, and so it's a real pleasure to actually be invited by the ODI, the first time I've actually been here, to come and give a presentation, because I think it's really in line with what I think is the method to solve a lot of problems that um, we have today. So... I was, this is, this is my, my start was into mathematics, but then I really got into the, this whole field of computer science. And so I did a master's um, in computer science at Cambridge. Um, but what I wanted to do was to try and get really, really close to industry and see what problems could be solved with my skill set. Um, but it's very, very difficult to do that from an academic, academic perspective um, because you just don't know the right problems to work on. So I, I came across something, something called the ASI which was briefly described, but I'll just go over it again. It's an eight-week fellowship where they take people from technical academic backgrounds and they throw them into an industry environment where lots and lots of problems are flying around to be solved um, with a technical approach. And it was really, really great. It was a really great experience because you work with, you work with people and you work in, as part of a cohort to really nailed down on data science on, on, and to, to try and be useful, basically, which is quite difficult to do. Um, so as part of, of this eight-week project, what you do is you have a, um, you do a collaboration with a, a company or with, or with an organization. I should probably shouldn't call it a company. Um, and for one of the projects that came in, a guy called Philip Sinclair came in. This, this guy here. He came in and gave a presentation from the cabinet office in the ways that they were trying to use data to improve public services. Um, and I really, really enjoyed his talk. And because they were just around down the road, um, I felt like these, this, was the pers- this, this was the group that I wanted to, uh, to work with, basically. And what he was explaining, amongst other things, was the way that the government historically gave out government contracts and the almost unfair way that they used to do it. Because um, what used to happen was that the government spends 250 billion pounds every single year in procurement contracts. This money is then filtered down into autonomous spending bodies, which make decisions at a, uh, a more a lo- more local level. For example, if a road needs building, or for example, if a building needs re- needs a repair, these autonomous spending regions would put up a contract, and companies would try they would they would try and find companies to carry this out for them but it becomes very key for the companies who in that local autonomous region is making the decision. So this is a, a real you know, inefficient marketplace, which is what the, the cabinet office realized, basically, because all these big companies who knew all the people in the government could just suck up the contracts, and if these contracts are worth millions and millions of pounds every single year and they last five years, suddenly you're locked in again, you have another five-year contract of the same price, which is kind of ridiculous. And I think that it's kind of encapsulated with this cartoon, which I found. It's not quite related, but this, I think, describes what the situation was. 
if you've not got many sellers, they can basically charge whatever they want. Uh, and if it's government, the government needs to make decisions very, very quickly. They're, in kind of a, they're not in the most powerful position. So this was the problem that Philip was explaining to us. I thought it was quite an quite interesting problem um, and a large-scale problem. So what they tried to do to solve this is they released a service called Contract Finder as of February this year. So this is very, very recent. And what this means is that every single contract in the UK, and actually elsewhere, but just think in the UK for now, every single contract in the UK, over £10,000, must be publicised openly and publicly. And it's going to be legislation now that it would be illegal to give out a contract to a company if it has not been publicised before on this service. So I think this is a fantastic initiative because this is, it's kind of our money that we pay and we assume we, we, assume, we, we assume the government spends it well, basically. But actually, I don't think that's the case. I really don't. Um, and so we talk about spending cuts when actually maybe we should talk about, okay, let's increase spending efficiency and spending impact. So they have this service now. You can go on it now and you can find any contract you want to. Um, it will be, it's, it's open to you. But what the problem was that still not everyone was using the service. There's still so many contracts that people don't know about. It's really hard. It's really, I mean, I'm sure if you work in, uh, you know, you work in startups, you, you understand how difficult it is to, to, to get people to use your service, even though you can demonstratively add value to them. It's an investment to acquire these new customers, even though it's going to add value to them. Um, and so the government was trying to find out ways that you could use public data sources to make more people use this service, essentially. Um, so I had a little, so I had, I had this data set, I had this sort of problem, I was quite excited. But what they also released was a public API. And this basically means that programmatically, developers and hobbyists can find out which contracts and where they are in real time, anytime they want to. So, for example, if I, I can look at all, co all contracts available in my own county, Norfolk, and say, okay, which ones are in which industry, when do they expire, when's the deadline, etc. It's all open data now. So, I was, this was my API, this is my data, this is my project right at the start. So, at the, to start with, I was just sort of playing around. I was like, okay, what's the first question I'd like to ask? We have this data set of public spending in general. What's the most interesting thing I can... Uh, I can do. Um, and the first thing I thought of was just plotting them all on a map, basically. So this is a map of UK government spending in the last year, 2014. And even just that, just a simple, took me maybe an hour, I think that's quite interesting. Just because you can instantly tell. So what, I'll, I'll explain some technicalities. These circles, they represent a single contract. And the, size, the radius of this circle represents the size of the contract. And I've, I've given it some opacity, which means that the really, really dense areas are the areas that have got a lot of these contracts in that area, basically. Um, so, yeah, you can see that Wales has got almost nothing. The north, okay, there's, there's some reasonable investment there uh, in the north, and London is London, so that's fine. But you can instantly get a good picture. So I knew there was something useful in this, in this data source, basically. Um, but the really interesting thing, so I'll, I'll just I'll go back. The really interesting thing that I think Philip wanted to really... Get, get to grips with, was how to get more and more people bidding for these contracts. Because you've, if you've got more and more people bidding for these contracts, inevitably you've got a more efficient market. And the hypothesis was, within government, 
was that this, this market was just not efficient at all. And so I'll cut to the chase for now, and then I'll go into more detail afterwards. But basically, I built this web application, which we, we, we coined Contracts Recommender. And what this does is given, so this is actually live now, so you can check it out. You can check it out on a link. Um, and yeah, I would appreciate any sort of you know, feedback. We can talk about this at the end afterwards. But what it does is to say, if you are, for example, this is a company here. It's called RDF Building. I didn't know what this company was to start with. It's a building company in Leeds. So what this building company can do is to go on the system. It can find itself. This one here, it turns out. And what it instantly has is a set of recommended contracts within that area and within that industry. So this is a building company. This company is in the development of building projects. So I've, I've used a few data sources which pull in this information. And the first thing is, this is, very, this is from two days ago, in fact. Um, the first one is a design and construction of refurbishment works to the east and west piers. So they've suffered damage, and include, the work re includes repairs to the masonry block work. So I don't really know precisely what RDF building does. Um, but I think at least it's a potentially relevant contract for them that they might be interested in. And this is a link straight to the website um, on the gov.uk site, basically. Um, so they can just bid up. And there are also 53 such contracts, supposedly, that they can, they, they can scroll through and they can see which ones they want. So this is basically, this is the output. Um, but I want to, this is, this, I, I thought this would be more of a, a technical talk, so I really want to explain how this works, actually, um, in some level, so you have some understanding. So this is what I'm going to try and do now. But there's a few boring parts that I need to explain to you first. So I just want you to hang on for maybe like four or five slides, because we're going to dive deep into government um, faff for a second. <laughs> so the first thing I want to talk about are standard industrial classification of economic activities codes. Now, I know I realize this sounds pretty great to, to listen to, but they are quite important, actually. Um, and what these codes do, these are the high-level categories, but I'll skip forward. These codes are used by Companies House to describe the activities of UK companies. So if you register a company, um, what conventionally happens is you say, OK, I'm going to register. You have to input what your industry is. And what these codes do is, is categorize what you do. So for example, if you're a tobacco company, you would have this code 01150 associated with your company forever, unless you change it, on Companies House, the Companies House register. So that's the important thing to realize. To companies are categorized in some way by industries. The next boring thing I want you to just endure is this thing here, which is the Guide to Common Procurement Vocabulary, otherwise known as CPV codes, which have been released by the European Union. This was in, I forget exactly, I think it's 2008. But this is a categorization of how all contracts are tagged and described in the EU. So you have some codes to describe how your companies are, are you know, the industries of your companies, and you have some codes to describe what the contracts are, you know, what's, how, how to describe what the industries are of your contracts. And here are some examples. So this is a great slide. It really is a great slide, actually. Um, but one thing you can see is you have these, you have these codes here. So if, if, your if your contract is in the office and computing machinery um, industry, or if it's related, it will be given this code. And what this is, is a taxonomy. 
and what a, I'll briefly explain what a taxonomy is, because you can see that each of these codes has got a lot of zeros in. And what these mean is that this specific description is really, really high level. It's like a high level description. But if you get, if you have some more numbers here, I maybe should have given you given an example. If you have some more numbers in here, what you have is a much more specific type of industry or type of contract. And this is related, related to um, the higher level taxonomy. So anything with starting with 333 or 33 and then going on will be related to medical, medical equipments. And if, for example, you have specifically an NMR machine, I want to, know, I want to get, get a new NMR machine, this would be some code with like some more specific code here. More, more, so it's been longer. So, okay, that's it. Most important thing to realize, just to remember, is just that these, these SIC codes describe companies and that these CPV codes describe the contracts. That's it. So if we want to have some sort of way to map these companies to contracts and contracts to companies, some sort of relation there, essentially the problem boils down to finding a correspondence between these two sets of, of codes. Um, hopefully, if, 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 things, if, if you have a question, I would like, you, know, you, can, you can say this as well. But I'm, I can see nodding, so I'm assuming that everyone is sort of on the same page. So this suggests a potential pipeline for a service. Um, given a company, get the SIC codes of the company, look up these CPV codes, ping this contracts finder API, which I can do, with a set of CPV codes, say, which contracts in the UK are tagged with this CPV code right now. I can do that, and then just return this set of contracts. That suggests a good pipeline. But the key thing is this step here, which I was sort of assuming would be easy, in fact. Um, because you'd think that if you're trying to develop a new taxonomy based on um, you know, describing contracts, you'd at least do a literature review and say, how have, how have companies been, uh, been described in the past? That's what I assumed naively. But this should be easy, but it's not easy for some reason, because these two things, this classification and this classification, from what I can tell, have been completely independently conceived, which is really, really frustrating, to be perfectly honest. Um, but this was the key problem that I was spending most of my time thinking about, how to get good classifications. And a, a, an, an example just to explain why it breaks down is that we have some SIC code descriptions which describe companies, remember. These say, for example, repair of electronic and optical equipment. It's got this code here. Now, the corresponding CPV contract tagging has got a five at the start. So it's not even got the same first digit. But you can sort of see, I'll move out of the way. This one is in the repair and maintenance services these contracts are. So yeah, this was, this was the key. I was like, okay, this is now just not an easy problem. But, okay, so this is what, this is what I needed. This is what the, essentially the project boiled down to. Finding these mappings, but because I was just going from companies to contracts, actually all I cared about was this one. So I've not even done this one yet, but that's a different time. I'm not really sure if I'm going to worry about that. But let's look at this again. What sort of correspondence could you make between these two things? So, in fact, I'm sure you can sort of think. I'm, I'm sure you can think of one. You can sort of realize that there are some similar things going on in, in the descriptions of how these. Um, two things are, are done. There's, there's correspondence in the descriptions. And that's kind of what this comes down to, basically. So I know that these codes here are associated in some way to this code here. 
And that's the heuristic, that's the intuition by which this, my, the program works, essentially. This is where you use libraries. This is where you use, you stand on the shoulders of giants, and you don't try and hard code all of the specific um, things you want to do. You use a natural language processing toolkit, for example, NLTK, which is fantastic. And what this has is really, really great methods to take in a sentence, do a process what's called tokenization and tagging to get out all of the nouns, adjectives, and verbs of these, of these sentences almost, and then pull out all the keywords. Yeah. And you can do the same thing with the CPV codes. You just pull out all the, all the keywords. And that's all, just imagine NLTK does some magic, and then you get this at the start, and then you get this at the end. And that's what NLTK does, which is pretty great. And, but what, and so once you're in this sort of situation, you can just do keyword matching, which is great. And that is almost how it works. This is now the pipeline. From this SIT code list, pull out these description words, do a reverse lookup and find out which CPV codes have got these keywords in their descriptions, ping the company's house API, and then return, oh no, sorry, and then return these CPV codes, because you have that in a, a database already, and then you can do what you want, ping company's house API. So this is now our new, um, this is that in fact wrong, but this is now our new, our new pipeline. So, I was like, this is good. This seemed to get some good results. But it's a little bit of a white line. Um, there is uh, some more steps to go through that. Um, and it essentially boils down to finding the most relevant or important CPV codes in your CPV code set. Because if you've got a couple of SIC codes describing a company, I hope, these SIC, I hope SIC codes and CPV codes now mean something to you. If you have a couple of SIC codes describing a company, and you have a, this, what this does is spits out maybe 15 or 20 CPV codes. And if you ping company's house with those CPV codes, you get back a whole pile of contracts, a lot of which are quite, you know, pretty irrelevant, actually. So the key thing, the next step, which I'll explain if someone asks and we have time, is finding out which CPV codes are the most important. And what that comes down to, heuristically, is do you remember I was explaining the taxonomy where the longer length CPV codes describe a more specific type of contract? If you've got lots and lots of specific types of contracts there, this is super, super relevant, it turns out, because the contracts that are pinged out by Company South API, by the, com by the contracts finder API, my mistake, are then very, very targeted. And heuristically, just by judging, this gave the best results. So that was the extra step, but I will explain that afterwards if you want. So now, briefly, I'll explain the web application architecture for those who are interested. This was done with um, a Python Flask environment. Um, all of the, the processes and the pipelines that I did were in Python. This is my, my favorite setup. Um, but this will, mean probably, this will mean probably not too much to you. Maybe it will, but probably not if I looked at this for the first time. But the, this is the workflow. Company comes in here goes to the contract recommender, pings comp company sales API, gets SIC codes, sends CPV codes to the contracts finder, gets with contracts, does a sorted ordering, which I have not, ex not explained yet, and then returns the relevant contracts. But the key thing to note from this slide is that the company doesn't care about all this stuff. Honestly, couldn't care less. This, these are busy people 
who have got much better time than much better uses of time to think about SIC codes and CPP codes, to be perfectly honest. And it got to the point where I was thinking that as well when I was thinking about SIC codes and CPP codes too much. But what the company cares about is getting these relevant contracts. And if you can tell a company, all I need from you, I don't care about a big form. Don't worry about you know, telling us what, exactly what industry you're in, exactly what, what your address is. All I want is your company name. This, will, this saves minutes, but for some reason, gets a lot more people to, to, get, to be engaged. Because I hate filling in forms. Everyone does. But I'll fill in my name. No issue. So that's the important thing. Um, all the company needs to give is, is the company name. And that is pretty much all that I have to immediately say. Um, but I would really, really appreciate if you guys just played around with it and told me what you thought. Things that weren't clear, I'm very, very happy to, um, to explain more. But I really want to have a bit of a brainstorm as to the sorts of applications you think that this could be applied for, whether it's immediately applicable to you and your company or generally what you thought about the project. So this is my 20 minutes. It's actually been more like 20 minutes. This is, I've timed it reasonably well, which is, I'm happy with. Um, but thank you very much for listening and coming on, the, on this Friday lunchtime. Thanks. You've been listening to a Friday lunchtime lecture brought to you by the Open Data Institute.